words that Jesus left his disciples with and said, this is how you pray. And we call it the Lord's Prayer. If you're not familiar with it, we'll have the words on the screen. Would you pray this aloud with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want to invite you to remain standing with me. Uh, For just a couple more minutes, we read the scriptures together and we stand out of respect for God's word. Now there's a, there's a, a thing that we do on Easter Sunday. I don't know if you are aware of this, but Christians worship on Sunday because Jesus rose on a Sunday. So in effect, every Sunday is Easter, but we celebrate Easter on the day of Easter, and we have this kind of uh, call and response. I say, he is risen, and then your response is, he is risen indeed. See, you know, and the, 11 o'clock, the 9 o'clock service didn't know. Way to go. So we're going to try it again, and you're going to beat the 9 o'clock service. Ready? Here we go. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. I want you to hear the words of Jesus uh, from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 13. It'll be on the screen and you can follow along. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus here is talking to you. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And then again, Jesus is talking here to you. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead... They put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In, <clears throat> choked up, excuse me. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing out of reverence for God's word. My, well, my name's Scott. I have the privilege of serving here as uh, lead pastor. Just before we jump into the message, I want to brag uh, for just a moment on the people sitting around you. If you're a guest or you're not normally with us here, or you're visiting from out of town um, or joining us online, I just want to brag on the people sitting near you. Uh, we've been through, as a globe, two and a half years of just awful. I think COVID should be a four-letter word from now on, and uh, we, so I don't want to say that word, uh, but we've been through all of that, and just like everybody, and in addition to that, as a local church, we've kind of worked to, in effect, re- reinvent ourselves in a way. And I just want you to know the hearts of the people sitting around you, because it, Jesus is talking here about salt, you know, salt of the earth, light of the world. The people sitting around you, they are salt of the earth, light of the world people, because they've just said, you know, whatever we got to do to reach our city and love people and serve them in Jesus' name, we want to be a part of that. And anything good that you see around here, anything that's great is, is a testimony to their hearts and their willingness to do whatever it is that, that Jesus asks of his church. And I just wish to first just want you to know I love you. I'm so proud of you. It's such a privilege for me to be your pastor. So just uh, my brag, um, they're awesome. Hashtag, they're awesome. Um, yeah, love you too. Uh, so t- today uh, is Easter, and I, I don't really know exactly why 
uh, you are here. Maybe you're here like me because you're a Christian and it's Easter and, you know, you're dressed up in colors that are like pastels like I'm wearing and you're going to take a family picture after. Um, it, it might be that you are single here and you're thinking this might be where I meet the one. Man, that'd be great. You'd meet a, uh, maybe a Christian spouse. That might be the best thing for you. I don't know. You might be here because you have uh, a drug problem. It might be that someone drug you here. <laughs> that, that might be why you're here. I don't know. I don't know why you're here. I just want you to know that I am, I'm very glad that you are here. Here's what I hope could happen today. I hope to, today that maybe, uh, maybe I'm going to convince you of something uh, that I, I would love for you to be convinced of, or maybe I'll just remind you of something that you had at one point in your history, but right now you've kind of lost a, a grip on that. I, I want to I try, if I could today, through the words of Jesus try to convince you uh, that your life counts and that you have a calling, that you're here for a reason and everything that you do matters. I want to do my best to try and convince you of that or remind you of that this morning. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a productivity uh, slash philosophy junkie, and so whenever one, anyone writes a, a great book or comes out with a great resource about life or how to live life better, I'm, I'm just kind of interested. I've been in the middle of reading a book by um, a British author by the name of Oliver Berkman. Oliver Berkman wrote a book about productivity, and it's called 4,000 Weeks. I've got a picture here of my, my copy of the book, and um, the, the reason it's titled 4,000 Weeks is if you were to add up, according to actuarial tables, the number of weeks that you have in your life, it totals about 4,000. Don't depress yourself and, and add up the number of weeks you've already lived and see what you've got left. Now, that's not the goal here today, right? Uh, Adam Grant, if you keep up with Adam Grant, he's a best-selling author, professor at Wharton Business School. He said that this was maybe the most important book on productivity that's ever been written. Now, Oliver Berkman, Adam Grant, neither of them are followers of Jesus, but they're tapping into this, this reality that all of us have to wrestle with is, does my life matter? Does it count? Am I headed somewhere? I was listening to a podcast this week. It was an interview with Oliver Berkman, and uh, he said something that jumped out at me that I want to share with you. I'll put it on the screen for you as well. But here's what he said. He said, what matters to us by the fact we are finite and limited is the awareness that every choice matters. In other words, you only have so long. When we had our first, uh, first child, um, we were living in Richmond, Virginia, and uh, we, we, about six weeks after he was born, we went to uh, the mall. Now, the malls there are kind of patterned after malls in California. If you've ever been there, you kind of, you know, they're kind of outside because they could take advantage of the sun. And so we're, we're sitting there, you know, new parents, um, and we went to this mall. And I said to my wife, I said, you know, you've been through all of this. I will sit here with the baby, and I was doing what every parent does when you have a newborn. You know, he just stare at them, and you just can't get enough. You know, you just like eat it up. And I'm sitting there outside, outside of one of the department stores there on a bench and overlooking this balcony. And, and I'm sitting there, you know, new, new dad. And this lady, this old lady, probably my age now, <laughs> walks up to me and she says, oh, enjoy. It's, it's, it's stamped on my brain. Enjoy every second. 
he'll be in college tomorrow. Uh, he's going to be in college in a year. <laughs> and that happened like two days ago. You only have so long. And I want, if I, if I can today, to help you choose a path that makes your days count. So we're starting this series today. We're calling it uh, The Heart of Christianity, and I mean, really, honestly, if, even if you're not a, a believer, or not a Christian, you kind of get, don't you, I think, that the core of Christianity, one of the core messages of Christianity is that, hey, time matters, and that God wants to, to take your life and to make it count. I, I hope that is clear. But, but we're, we're also pausing as we go through this series on the heart of Christianity, and, and maybe you had a reaction uh, even as I said that, you know, Christianity, you had a visceral reaction where, where you're, you're not sure about the reputation of Christians. I mean, I mean, Christians are supposed to be the carriers of the message of Jesus and continue the ministry of Jesus, supposed to be this source of life and hope for the world. But I mean, you're, you're, if you're like me and you're like a little bit of a skeptic and you're kind of like, you look at things a little sideways, you might be wondering, but is it? I mean, is, is that what Christians are known for currently? Now, it, it, this is a crass way to look at it, but if, if Christianity were a brand, how, how valuable would that brand, Christianity is not a brand, but if it were a brand, if that's all it were, how valuable would that brand be? And I've got to be really honest with you. I've been a pastor for a couple seconds now, and I, I just my honest assessment is that I think the brand is in trouble. Now, hear me. I don't think Jesus is in trouble. I don't think the way of Jesus in, is in trouble. This is Easter Sunday when we remember the resurrection of Jesus bodily from the dead. Anybody who beats death, you ain't ever going to beat them with anything, right? <laughs> uh, so I'm not, I'm not worried about that. I'm just talking about what Christianity has become or is perceived as in our culture as an entity. I am not so sure how it's doing. And so anyone who wants to know the message of Jesus, any Christian who always wants to tap back into the life and heart of Jesus and express it in the world, where might you go to find that out? Because honestly, the heart of Christianity is the person of Jesus. And so what you and I would need to do is we need to go hear from Jesus about how life is meant to work. And that's, that's the heart of this series that we're going to be walking through together over the next several weeks and that we're beginning today. Now, if we wanted to, if we wanted to tap into that message of Jesus, we'd go to the, the, what we just read um, in Matthew chapter 5. There are four Gospels, the, the biographies of the life of Jesus from the perspective of four of the followers of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first Gospel in the New Testament is what we read from Matthew one of the early disciples of Jesus. And, and there in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, chapters 5, 6, and 7, you would find, if you wanted to look for it, a summary of the basic teaching of Jesus right there in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, famously called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, here's, here's what you would find if you've not ever delved there before or if it's been a long time. 
in, instead of seeing all this kind of flowery philosophizing about life in this kind of flowery language, what you would find instead of that is, is the heart of Jesus' teaching is about how to deal with real life because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about the things that have always tripped people up as human beings. Things like, how do you deal with the anger that is in your heart over the things that have happened to you in your life. Can your heart be healed from those things? How, how is it that men and women are to relate in our culture? I mean, that is like a thing that it just continues to be talked about. How does, what does sex do to relationships? I mean, that gets talked about all the time. Is it even possible in this life to become a whole person? How in the world do you and I handle our enemies, go through life for just a couple minutes? You get a few people that don't like you and you don't like them. How in the world do you handle your enemies? In other words, Jesus deals in the Sermon on the Mount with the questions that keep you and I up at night. And as we're going to see when we go through this series, Jesus challenges all of the conventional wisdom about how you and I typically think that you deal with those kinds of circumstances and situations in our life. And he uses this phrase that we're going to look at the next several weeks. He said, you have heard that it was said. Here's the conventional wisdom. But I'm going to say to you a path that's different that brings you to life and hope. So I hope you'll be a part of this series. I hope, I hope this is helpful. We're going to be as provocative as we can be and as hopeful as we can be through this series. But here's what I want to do today. I, I want you to see and not miss what Jesus is saying is at stake for you and is possible for you. Because here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses these two metaphors to talk about you. And he says that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's powerful. I, I don't know if you're like me. I wrestle uh, at times with my self-talk. Do you, do you talk to yourself or is it just me? Um, I, I kind of miss the days of the mask because I could walk into the grocery store and I could just talk. Did anybody else do that? Just, just me? You know, like, I don't know. Whatever. And, and I, I found myself, you know, when we started going away from masks, talking out loud and then people were looking at me funny and then I, I realized, oh, I should stop the inner monologue, right? But I, but I, I wrestle from time to time with, self-talk, the things I say to myself sometimes, I, I honestly would never say to a real person. And, and I don't know if you struggle, if you're like me, that you, you're trying to figure that one out. But what, what would even happen if you simply were to replace your self-talk with what Jesus says is true about you? And when you, when you have that line like, hey, you idiot, why, what's wrong with you? Why, why do you always screw things up? If you could replace that with, no, no, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I mean, this is calling language. So Jesus says, uh, first he says, you're the salt of the earth. I mean, this is a, this is a powerful metaphor. I'm sure you're aware of this. Uh, salt is used as a preservative. Uh, if you were to go to a great steakhouse here in town, or you were to go to Chicago or LA or New York and go to a great steakhouse, you probably would find on the menu some, you know, aged steak that was cured in salt or something like that, you know. It's a, it was used in that day of obviously no refrigeration as a preservative. And it would prevent bacterial and microbial growth. And the way that it did that is that salt had to be rubbed into the, the, the meat. So there's definitely an element of, hey, you have a preservative calling for the world. 
But then there's also what you and I know about salt, right? When we think about it, and you're, you're at lunch just in a few minutes, right? And, and you're going to have the green bean casserole, and it's not going to taste right. What are you going to say? Pa- pass the salt, <laughs> right? It, it, it's, that, it's that flavor. It was an expensive spice in Jesus' day. Even our phrase, uh, you know, he's worth his salt or she's worth her salt is a reference to what Jesus is is talking about here. But here's, I know something about salt. Salt only works when it is directly applied. Doesn't work in theory up here. It has to be directly applied. Now, I'm, I'm a, I don't want to brag, <clears throat> but I'm kind of famous for my steak. And uh, when I say that I am famous for my steak, what I mean is I'm famous with my children for my steak. And they don't, they've never really had good steak, so what do they know? Um, but, but I do know a couple of things uh, about steak. You, you, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to, for those of you who are thinking, is he going to touch the raw steak? No, I'm not. I, I know a couple of things. You have to take whatever spice mix you're going to cook your steak with, and you have to apply it directly to the steak. I mean, you can make a delicious steak with salt and pepper, and butter, and a cast iron pan. Is it, is it almost lunchtime? I, that sounds delicious, doesn't it? I, but here's what I know. You don't take the salt, you know, and, and, and hold it above the steak and say, come on, buddy. <laughs> you, don't, you don't give the, the steak a pep talk and say, absorb the flavors of the salt, right? What do you do? You put it, you apply the salt directly to the steak, Right? It doesn't work if it's not applied directly to the steak. Now, I, I, the steak. Now, I, I, I need you to grasp something for a second. Apply this metaphor to you because this is very much what Jesus is saying about you. He's saying, listen, the world around you is the steak. And, and unless something is applied to it, it will decay. Unless something is applied to it, it will lack flavor and be bland. And Jesus is saying, in God's economy of things, what God applies to preserve the world and to flavor the world, what he applies is you. You have a tremendous call. You are meant by God to be worked into the troubles and the pains and the aches and the longings and the hurt of the world. You have a calling. The world needs you. Not the person next to you, you. You are the salt of the earth. And then Jesus goes on, he says, but if the salt were to lose its saltiness, what good is it? I don't un- understand the chemical properties of salt, uh, so I googled it like you, like you do when you don't know something. And, and here's what I found. Natural salt, the mineral that we dig out of the earth, actually cannot lose its saltiness unless one of two things happens. Number one, it's mixed with something else. Or number two, it sits in a condition off by itself so that it's exposed to moisture and dries out. In other words, if the salt is at work being applied directly, it never fails. You never have to worry about your life being meaningless as long as you're allowing yourself to be applied to the needs of the world. And if salt is doing what salt does, it always works. That's you. You're the salt of the earth. Well, then Jesus says that you are the light of the world. He says that uh, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And so he says, listen, 
Um, you're, you're it. You're the light of the world. Now, I don't know that I have to explain this one to you because I think we all kind of intuitively understand the difference between light and dark. But dark, what does darkness mean? It means confusion. It means a lack of direction. It means fear. I mean, that's, that's the world around us, right? Lacking direction. People are afraid. There's confusion. And Jesus says, in the middle of that, you're the light of the world. And, and I, I mean, every, every task, every profession that applies either healing or fixing uses lights, right? A surgeon uses light. A plumber uses light. When you get up at night and you got to go make a make a visit <laughs> there's a very small light that is very important isn't it right in other words it doesn't have to be a giant spotlight it just has to just has to be there and light makes it safe when it's dark and light opens up pathways and if you hide it no one is helped so jesus says you don't you don't take that light and hide it under a basket No, what you do is you take and you put that light, you, on a stand so that it gives light to everyone. And he said, in fact, he says, a a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, that's a reference that everybody who heard Jesus say those words immediately knew because Jesus is giving this uh, around the Sea of Galilee, which is basically a large lake, and it's kind of surrounded by hills. And from any point on the Sea of Galilee, there was a, a city up on a hill that if you were on the Sea of Galilee at night, you could, there was no way you couldn't see the light of that city on a hill. Jesus is saying, that's supposed to be you. That's supposed to be your life. That's you. So if you walked in here today thinking that your life lacks purpose and you weren't sure if what you do matters, I need you to hear this. You have a calling The world needs you. God made you for something important to push back the darkness and the decay and the blandness of the world. God's solution for that is sending you into the world. Now, by that, I'm not trying to say that your job is that you have to become some pastor or priest. I have gone to dinner and a server comes over and the way they interact with the people at our table, is very clear to me, they understand they have a calling. I've interacted with people who own multiple companies, and it's very clear to me from my interaction with them that they understand they have a calling. Uh, John Coltrane, uh, maybe you don't know who that is, John Coltrane, saxophone player, made what many people consider uh, the greatest jazz album of all time. It's called A Love Supreme. Wrote it, made it, wrote the songs, 1950s or so. And, and in the liner notes of that album, we've got a picture of the liner notes here for you. I want you to hear something he said, because he's tapping into exactly what Jesus is talking about right here. here. Here's what he said. During the year 1957, I experienced, by the grace of God, a spiritual awakening, which is to lead me to a richer, fuller, more productive life. At that time, in gratitude, I humbly asked to be given the means and privilege to make others happy through music. I feel this has been granted through His grace. And then all caps in the liner notes. All praise to God. This album is a humble offering to Him. An attempt to say, again, all caps in the liner notes, thank you, God, through our work, even as we do it in our hearts and with our tongues. May He help and strengthen all men in every good endeavor. 
right? Salt and light. I, 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 maybe, maybe you are saying at this point, okay, now this is Easter. Okay, that's, that's nice. Um, and, and if Easter didn't happen, honestly, I just gave you a pep talk, right? Do better. Be better. You matter. But I, here's, what I, here's, what, here's the difference that Easter makes. If there is a calling, I, I hope you can see that there's a calling. I hope you can see that there's meaning and purpose for your life. If there is a calling, that means that there is a caller. <laughs> Do you hear that? Just like today, if there's an Easter basket a little bit later, it didn't show up by itself. It's, if it's a gift, if there's a gift, guess what? That means there's a giver. So if you have a calling on your life, that means someone is calling you to it. Someone is inviting you into it. And that is the message of Easter. Is there is a caller calling to you. The caller is the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and he's asking to share his calling with you. But most of us live cut off from that. I've been watching a show on a streaming service. It's called Severance. I don't know if any of you have watched this show. It's kind of just came out. Really fascinating, fantastic acting, fantastic writing. And it's, uh, the, the premise of it is that there's this this nameless company, and they hire people and plant something in their brain so that when they descend an elevator, um, they forget what their life was like before they came into the elevator and went to work. And so they basically live two separate lives. And, and they, it's this powerful metaphor. As you don't, don't give away the spoilers if you've seen it all. But it's this powerful metaphor about how we live severed lives. We don't know what we're doing or who we're doing it for or why. <laughs> That's the majority of us. But here's the message of Easter is that you can know the caller. Now, if you are like me and you are like most people, here's what I think is going through your mind when you hear that. You're like, oh, I I know what you're trying to tell me. You're trying to tell me that I need to be more religious. No. Can I tell you, just as we close here, can I tell you a story that Jesus told? Maybe one of Jesus' most famous stories. Luke chapter 15, the gospel of Luke, Jesus tells this story. We refer to it as the story of the prodigal son. You know, you've heard that phrase, a prodigal? comes from that story Jesus tells. In this story, there's a, a father who represents God, and then there's two sons, and the younger son goes to his father in the story and says to his father, I, I would like my inheritance now. Now, when you read that story, you, we, you and I completely miss what's happening there. What that son was in effect saying was, I hate you. I don't want to be a part of this family anymore. Anymore. I don't love you. I don't love mom. I don't love anything that you've done for me. I cannot wait to get out of here. Just give me what is due me when you die. I wish you would die. Give it to me now. In the story, the father gives it to the son, and, and in Jesus' story, the son goes off, uh, and his story says, and, and spent it all in wild living on, on parties and prostitutes. I mean, if... If he did, um, then what happens now, he would have an Instagram account or a TikTok account, you know, like at Pops Money, and he'd be at 3 million followers. Eventually, though, the money runs out, and so do all of his friends, and he's stuck, hires himself out to a farmer who feeds pig. now, now pigs. Now, this is written to Jewish, Jesus tells this story originally to Jewish folks, that's not kosher, right? You don't even go around pigs. 
And he's sitting there, and he's, he's thinking, if only I could just eat what the pigs are eating. And then, then the, the, in the story, Jesus says that the, the young son, he, he came to himself. And he said, oh, you know what? My father's servants eat better than this. I know what I'll do. I'll go home. I'll make a speech. I'll tell my father how sorry I was. Maybe he'll have mercy on me and treat me like one of his servants. And, and then maybe it'll be okay. And this is, this, is where, this is what most of us think is, is being asked of us when you're trying to know the caller. It's like, well, God wants you to be religious, right? So be like the younger son. You know, we, we make a checklist. Get your act together. Okay, check. Stop doing the bad stuff. Okay, check. Be really sorry and make up a speech. And the son, he's like, Look, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be your son, is the speech he makes up. I have a friend who basically this was his story. Parents gave him a bunch of money. He squandered it all, thousands of dollars. Came home to his local church, a, a, a woman who was friends with his mom, a church lady. Uh, when, when he walked in the door, she walked up to him, slapped him across the face. Because, I mean, that's what religious people do, right? Shame you for your actions. And then, you know, maybe, maybe if I do all that right, I check all those boxes, then maybe I'll be accepted if I, if I did all that. Like, we think that's what we're, what's being asked of us. And Jesus pours water all over that. He says, that, that's, that's not, I'm not after religious people. I'm not trying to make you more religious. This is how he says it in Luke 15, verse 20. The guys are going to come up, we're going to sing a song. Jesus is trying to tell us that God's not like what we think God's like. And he says, but while he, this young son, was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And then the text goes on and the father says, kill the fattened calf. This son of mine who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now found Like, this is what the caller is like. <laughs> the caller's not trying to shame you for what you went through. The caller's trying to say, no, no, um, let me tell you what I'm like. You could know me, and I, I'll help you figure out this calling. Just a little bit later in that, those liner notes in, in John Coltrane's album, and if you know any of his story, um, he was an addict at points. And, and this, this way, I want you to hear what he said. Remember that album title, I Love Supreme? This is John Coltrane. As time and events moved on, a period of irresolution did prevail. In other words, I, I fell off the wagon. I entered into a phase which was contradictory to the pledge and away from the esteemed path. I mean, he was trying hard. But thankfully, now and again, through the unerring and merciful hand of God, I do perceive and have been duly reinformed of his omnipotence and of our need for and dependence on him. And then listen to what he says. At this time, I would like to tell you that, and then it's all caps the rest of the way. No matter what, it is with God. He is gracious and merciful. His way is love through which we all are. It is truly a love supreme. I, I have no clue what you have been through. I, I, I hope you could walk out the door today and you could say, okay, I, I, okay, I see, I got something. I'm not sure I'm there yet, but I see something, okay? 
But more than that, I'd, I'd love for you to walk out the door and go, oh, wait, I, not, not only do I sense a calling, but I see that there's a caller. I, I'm, I'm not asking you to believe in God. I'm asking you to know the God who calls you into your life. The resurrection is that that God is, is here. It's present. I, I don't know what you have been through over the last two and a half years. It is, I've been told stories from people about the suffering they've been through, and I've walked with some of you through some of the suffering you've been through over the last two and a half years. I, I, don't, I don't know where you are in terms of the trajectory of your life. I wonder, though, if on Easter 2022, this could be a turning point for you in your life, and, and you, you were going this way, and then you hear, you, you hear about the resurrected Jesus, the caller, who gives people callings, who's filled with compassion for you, who sees you when you are a long way off. And I wonder if you could know the caller in a new way today and you could turn and your trajectory would be different. I mean, Easter 2022, would there be a better day for that? No. I'm going to invite you, we're going to sing a song here in a second. Would Would you stand with me? And I'd like to pray for you and with you for a moment. When we end, uh, those of you that are guests with us, when we end each week, we always uh, leave you with a, a good word, a blessing, and, and we're kind of in this habit of doing this. People that are here all the time, they have gotten in the habit of holding out their hands as a way of saying, I would like to receive that. You know when someone's trying to give you a gift and how you go, oh. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a posture of reception. And I'd invite you, if you're comfortable with that, as we pray here together, to have your hands open. If you want to receive the love of God, just hold your hands like this. Would you bow your head, close your eyes with me? God, thank you for Easter. Thank you for the message that you have the power to give us new life. You're not just a good teacher. You're not a philosophizer. You're not some guy. You're the resurrected Lord. How else would we get life if you weren't risen from the dead? So I know you are present today, Lord, to bring your healing love, to bring your compassion. Lord, we we recognize in that story how all of us in this room, in one way or another, we've wandered off. And I pray today would be a moment of coming to ourselves and realizing there's something better, and that the better is even better than we thought. So I pray for my friend who who knows you, but they've forgotten that they have a calling, that you put them here as your representative to be salt and light for a world that needs it. It's hurting and in pain, torn apart. How we need people who have calling, who see themselves as healing agents, sources of hope. And then, Lord, I pray for my friend who, who does not know you, who is uh, at a distance from you. If that's you and you'd love to receive the love of God, could I just offer you some words you could say in your mind and heart, say these words, dear God, I need your love in my life. I recognize what I've done with my life. I need a better leader. Forgive me. Wash me clean. I don't understand how all that works, but please do it. I want to receive your love for me. I want a calling. Now lead my life. 
So God, all of us, we receive what it is you have to give us on this Easter Sunday, 2022. We pray this in your name. Amen.